The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg with your host, psychologist and author, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics brought to you by SSI Guardian. Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well and staying safe. To listen to previous episodes, learn more about Dr. Peg's mental health and safety workshops, or to register for an upcoming VIP personal transformation retreat. Visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education and solutions. Learn more about SSI Guardian at ssiguardian.com. And, you know, so many of us struggle with the, the questions of Am I enough? Am I lovable? Uh, my guest today, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, believes that you can't truly awaken your life's purpose until the little one in you understands that you are enough and you are lovable. Dr. Kelly Flanagan is the author of the book Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About You So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life. And he and I are going to be talking about what it means to be lovable. But first, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is coming to you from Denver, Colorado on 94.7 FM The Word. And streaming online at drpegradio.com. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And you can also go to my website to connect with our sponsor and to learn more about my various events, retreats, and books. Now, if you've ever desired to write and publish your own book, I'd like to invite you to participate in my upcoming nonfiction writing and self-publishing one-day intensive workshop. If you've had an interesting childhood, or you possess a special skill or ability, or you'd like to use your life experiences to inspire and educate others, it's time to become the author you've always dreamed of being. And if you're not sure how to get started, or you've been working on the same book for years, or you want to learn how to self-publish your own book, register for my upcoming nonfiction writing and self-publishing one-day intensive workshop on Saturday, September 9th in in Denver. And space is limited, so go to drpegradio.com slash write to register today. Now, my guest today is an author himself, as well as a successful blogger. And Dr. Kelly Flanagan is the author of the book, Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About You So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life. And Dr. Flanagan is also a licensed clinical psychologist, along with his wife, who incidentally is also named Kelly. And the two Kellys, as their friends call them, live in Naperville, Illinois, with their three children. Dr. Kelly Flanagan, thanks so much for being here by phone today, and welcome to the program. Dr. Pike, thanks for having me on. Glad you're, to be here. You're quite welcome. And so I want to start off first, just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better before we dive into your book. Uh, you met this woman named Kelly, and did you think, <laughs> I've got to marry this woman so we can always be forever known as the two Kellys? <laughs> So we can eternally confuse people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met in uh, graduate school at Penn State, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny. We, I think we, there was sort of an instant attraction in chemistry. <laughs> we bonded over our love of Seinfeld, and uh, this was back in '99, right when the show had ended. And uh, but she, she emailed her mom shortly after we met and said, "I met this great guy named Kelly, but it just it can't work out, obviously, because of the name." So <laughs> I, I joke that I overcame more barriers than most men to. Uh, to, to winning her over. 
That's great. Well, I my maiden name is Mitchell, and I once dated a man in college with the same last name as Mitchell. It was kind of cool as a woman. I wouldn't have had to change my last name. But uh, right, yes. uh, please tell me there is a Kelly Jr. The, the, oh my one of your children's we name were, is Kelly. Right. <laughs> so we were, we were, my wife actually, was, we got married in grad school at Penn State, and um, we had our first uh, child in grad school at Penn State. And when we were doing the whole name book thing, sincerely, the <laughs> name that we both liked the most was Kelton. <laughs> and we were like, but we were like, we can't do that. That's off the table. So we ended up with Aiden. So okay. Aiden's our oldest, and he's 13 years old now. And we learn about a little bit about Aiden in your, in your book, Lovable, and we'll get to those stories in a moment. Uh, you know, all of George Foreman's children were named George, right? You, yes, c- you could have done it. <laughs> well, let's talk about your book, Lovable. Uh, you had a really unusual inspiration to write your book, Lovable. Uh, you were typing something into Google. Tell us, tell us that story. Yeah, this is back in... I think the beginning of 2013, and uh, we had an old coffee pot that had finally given up the ghost, and we were uh, we bought a new one off of Amazon. It arrived and uh, had great reviews, but we couldn't figure out how to keep the coffee hot in it. It had, it had no no heating pad, and so I went on to Google to to search how to keep coffee hot in you know whatever model number of coffee pot it was, and uh, I accidentally typed how to keep um, H, how to keep hot. And uh, and Google did that autocomplete thing, and the very number uh, number one search, I guess, in the world was how to keep him interested. Wow! And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, my daughter was uh, three at the time. Uh, that's interesting. So I clicked on it, and Rannick just came across this huge um, wealth of literature on the internet, mostly written by women, about how to keep men interested in them. And my first reaction is sort of one of sadness thinking about my daughter, you know, years from now and what that would be like to, to sort of go to the internet to try to figure out how to keep mm. her um, partner interested in her. And um, and so I had this, at the time I'd started blogging, it was mostly a professional blog, um, but I had this letter that just sort of came out of me to her about how she's inherently interesting and uh, and that much of life is about beginning to trust that so you can attract someone who, who knows you're interesting and doesn't need to be proven it over and over again and uh and i wrote it and my wife said i think you should put that on your blog and i did and, and the rest is history as they say mm-hmm. and, it, and it became a part of the book and an inspiration for the book and and you ended up writing other letters to your children and and we'll talk about some of those um really uh you know in, god has made us inherently interesting we're fearfully and won- wonderfully made and as believers mm-hmm. we can turn to his word to know um, who we are and, and our value. Uh, but uh, evidently, Google is providing other information to folks. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm honest, in my early adulthood, I think even into middle age, I struggled with, um, with those same questions that you were concerned about for your own daughter. Um, struggling with feeling not enough was a real common one for me. And I thought it was just me until I read your book. And uh, can you share your experience um, with what with what I'll call the whiteboard, not enough words? Right. You were at a conference, <laughs> and some words got put on the whiteboard. Talk about that. Yeah, well, and you know that letter I wrote to my daughter, too, about not being interesting enough. It was a, a deeply, in hindsight, a deeply personal letter to, to really the little kid in me mm. who I felt for decades like he wasn't interesting enough. And, um, and so 
certainly there was that question within me too, right? Is this a, you know, is this an anecdotal thing? It's my own experience. Um, maybe not everyone experiences this. Though the reaction to the letter was suggesting otherwise, that people were, were resonating with that need to hear that they have worth um, and that they're good enough. Um, so I go to this weekend. It's a continuing education for my psychology license. And uh, they we got there and they told us that we were going to sort of learn the therapy that we had come to learn by doing it. And so they walked us through a number of the interventions. And really the core of it, of the intervention, was beginning to identify the words that had sort of gotten trapped inside of us that described us as not enough. Um, so, for instance, not interesting enough, not smart enough, not tall enough, you know, not skinny enough, not successful enough, and so on. And then there came a point in the weekend where they asked us as a group to run around the circle and we told them what words we had discovered through the practices uh, that were inside of us. And, uh, and, and then we each said those words. We, we said them out loud and she wrote them on a whiteboard. And it was, it was pretty startling to see this room full of psychologists you know, who are supposed to, in theory, be the healthiest people, right? Mm. We somehow got it, got it figured out, although we all know we don't. Um, but here's all these words, all, this, all these words that represent our shame, our sense of not being enough up on the whiteboard. But then she, did, she took it to the next level. Uh, and what she did is she pulled down a screen over that whiteboard, and she clicked a button on her computer, and she um, put up a picture that she had captured of another whiteboard from another seminar, and they were all the exact same words. They were arranged differently in, in different colors and so on, but they were the exact same sets of words. And then she did it again. She put up another picture, and this was from a different seminar in a different country and then one from a different continent. And it started to dawn on me, this is a universal experience, um, this, con- this idea of shame, this idea that somehow we came into the world okay but decided that we weren't good enough somewhere along the way. Um, and that really did propel me into saying, okay, this is something that um, is important and it matters and I need to write about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the power in realizing it's not just you, um, not right. just you, not only in that room, but not just you in the world, <laughs> that it's we part of our it. human condition, uh, that universal, as you said. Uh, so how do, how do we, what's the process to come out of that? In, in your book, you describe three things that we must discover about ourselves, and, and you liken yeah. them to the three acts of life. Can you explain what those are? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing I I like to say in talking about this is if we enter into a process of facing our shame and starting to work through it from the perspective of wanting to get over it completely, um, that that to me sends up red flags because it's another opportunity to fail, right? (laughs) So now I'm not even good enough at getting over my shame. (laughs) So uh, one of the things that I, I like to talk about is that, you know, shame is with us. Um, it's probably with us forever. It's part of the human experience, and it's not so much about conquering it or banishing it, but getting to know it and starting to listen to a different different voice within us. Um, and and so, for me, that process is about embracing our worthiness, um, beginning to as we as we begin to embrace our worthiness and trust that we're good enough. That's that's this idea of the first act in the book of worthiness and trusting we're enough. And then, really only then, can you begin to find true belonging, because true belonging is what happens when you reveal who you really are to people. 
um, and, and they sort of celebrate at what they at what they see and they hear from you. And and that's how we find true belonging is by announcing who we truly are. So the second act of life, as I described it in the book, is finding belonging and discovering that you're not alone. Um, you're not alone in a spiritual sense, and you're also not alone in a relational sense because your people are out there and they're just waiting waiting for you to show them who you are. And then the third act of the book is is something I refer to as purpose, um, and that um, in the course of embracing our worthiness, uh, being embraced by people who enjoy who we are, and being encouraged to do what we want to do in the world, what we're passionate about, we begin to discover our purpose. Uh, we begin to discover that what we do matters, even if it's not extraordinary, even if it's not world-changing. Um, we come into the world with these passions embedded in our true self, and once we've begun to trust that our true self is good enough, we can just practice those passions in the world. Um, so those are the three acts of lovable as I lay them out in the book. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get into each of those in a little more depth as we progress in our conversation. Um, what what you're describing reminds me of Adam and Eve. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you were saying we shouldn't hide from our shame. We should embrace and get to know it better um, mm-hmm. so that in that process we can embrace our worthiness. And, and Adam and Eve came to mind. Um, they they were naked and not ashamed. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and yet that changed. Their, their sense of who they were and their value um, was altered. You know, it's... it's I, appreciate so much that you say that because really when I started to understand shame and how it works, the creation story comes to mind mm-hmm. um, absolutely in the sense of you have these people who are created and declared good, mm. right? And they are unashamed. They are uh, they're vulnerable and naked and they are simply their, their, their true selves. And I, what I almost like to think of it is, is the snake in the, in the, the creation story comes in and what the snake does is shames them. Mm-hmm. So it tells it tells them a lie. It says you're not good enough. You need to be more. It's not enough to simply be human. You you need to be like God. And uh, and their response to this shame <laughs> is to begin searching for worthiness in an apple, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, in, in trying to become something that they're not. Um, and then of course that shame just begins to grow. Um, so I do feel like we sort of have the template for understanding how we enter the world and how shame starts to lie to us about mm-hmm. who we are right there in that story. Mm-hmm. And you say it's important to experience the, the progression of these three acts of life, worthiness, belongingness, and purpose uh, in the right order. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we, we connect with people. So we have that sense of belonging, but if they don't truly know who we are, we feel like this imposter. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, a psychologist who went through graduate school as well. And <laughs> I, I wonder if this was a common experience for you, but all of my friends who went off to different graduate programs that I went to college with, uh, we all had this lingering feeling like, I, you know, yeah, I'm learning all this stuff and I got my PhD, but I don't know. I kind of feel like an imposter. And yeah. so when we truly can't be known and um, show the real us and feel worthy just for who we are. I am enough. Even when you're connected to others, you sometimes don't feel worthy or that you truly belong. If they, if they really knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. So you say it's really important to experience um, these, these three um, uh, realizations in the right order. That's right. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I think as psychologists and therapists, I think some of the ways that we're, we're trained to approach the process to reinforce that dynamic where, mm-hmm. you know, someone who in theory is the 
is the broken human being is coming into the room to learn from the expert mm-hmm. about, about how to be unbroken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we're told not to reveal much of our humanity. Um, and so as therapists, I think we do end up feeling like imposters. And as I've progressed in my career, I've, I've started to bring a lot more of myself into the room, uh, kind of admitting the ways that I'm broken. And consistently I hear from people that that's, that's a big part of what's healing is mm-hmm. to know, oh, I'm not alone. Uh, you're, you struggle with some of the same things. And, um, and, and so much of, of healing happens in the context of revealing who we truly are to people mm-hmm. um, and feeling, feeling less alone. But as you point out, if what we feel like is inside of us isn't good enough, uh, what we'll do is we'll hide that and protect it. And then people are sort of getting the advertisement of us rather mm-hmm. than the real us. Mm-hmm. And the real us just sits, sits inside and, and is, is left as lonely as ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's so critical, so critical that um, that process of relationship not be a search for worthiness, but an expression of our worthiness. Mm, uh, because if it's, a, if it's a search for worthiness, what we're doing is we're, we're really putting out this this false version of ourselves that we think increases the odds, right, that people will accept us. And we're not really putting the real us out there. And so even though we may end up in relationship. We don't end up connected and we're feeling less alone than ever. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a, uh, a profound experience to feel alone in a crowd. But this mm-hmm. kind of explains it, that if you're not feeling worthy and you've got the mask up and sending out your representative, <laughs> um, yeah. you're going to feel like you're never really connected. But we know we, we can have our identity in Christ and relationship first and foremost with him is really um, yeah. a, a place to start. Uh, talk about a letter uh, that you wrote to your children about being enough, uh, in which you described a, a playground in a youth home. Mm. Yeah, so we had this really interesting in the neighborhood where we used to live. There was a parking lot, and on one the, the parking lot served two purposes. Uh, on one side is a, a playground for young children, a beautiful playground, and the other side is this county facility for sort of the rehabilitation of, of juvenile. Um, people who've been convicted of juvenile offenses. And uh, I was thinking about how I wanted to explain to my children that their worth doesn't depend upon their outcomes mm-hmm. um, or their choices even or their behaviors. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to go down, because that parking lot represents <laughs> it represents the fear of every parent on one side and the delight of every parent on the other. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write from there. Mm-hmm. And and what came out was a letter explaining that regardless of how things end up for them, um, that they are ultimately good enough and worthy, and, uh, and that the task is really to listen to the voice of grace within them uh, that is communicating their identity to them, their worthiness, uh, so that they, they don't get all tangled up in thinking that outcomes and circumstances and performance is what defines their worth. Um, mm. And in that letter, I actually explained that in my experience, most bad choices are already the result of, of doubting our worth, right? Mm. So when we doubt our worth, we start to compulsively seek it in uh, relationships. We start to compulsively seek it in um, wealth and affluence and power and prestige. And so so many of those things that we would identify as, as bad choices or transgressions are actually arising out of doubting our worthiness to begin with. Mm-hmm. So if we can trust in that. It saves us from a, from a number of those bad decisions. Yeah. Well, and then that's a powerful message that even when you make poor choices and even when you have 
undesirable outcomes, it doesn't diminish your worth and your value. And again, your identity in Christ. And I, and as you're stating, as, as we really become grounded in our identity in Christ and our relationship with Christ, that he loves us, uh, we're, we're made in his image, uh, that helps us transform and make better choices in the future. Well, you know, I, I tell a story in the book. I was with a friend one day, and he was, he was telling me about a time when his, his young you know, toddler at the time woke up in the middle of the night and um, had gotten sick and was covered in vomit and, and how he took him to the bathtub and, and washed him off. And to me, that's such a beautiful image of what God wants to do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, God knows <laughs> about the the soul that he created underneath the surface of all the messes that we make. Um, and he's simply waiting to wash us off, right? mm-hmm. and to, to clean off all that mess and to help us return to who we have always been and still are. Um, and so that has become a formative image for me when I think of God's relationship to my messes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking with psychologist, licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kelly Flanagan. He's the author of the book, Lovable, Embracing What's Truest About You So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life. And um, Dr. Flanagan, you, you stated that, you know, the, that the Lord washes us off to restore us to who we've always been all along. Uh, but we we drift away from that little one inside of us. Um, talk about um, how we can be led back to that our inner self. Um, everyone loves the story of Hansel and Gretel and how they use breadcrumbs <laughs> to find their way through the forest. Talk about the breadcrumbs that you write about in your book, leading us back to our true selves. Yeah. Well, I think the first, the first insight that's so important is that you don't, we're not here to build a self, that we arrived at the self created for us, given to us a gift. And um, that self is still there regardless of how, uh, lost and confused we get, and we can return to it. That's the task, is returning. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I hear it, I think the best way to illustrate that is I hear from clients like, okay, we're talking about this true self and that worthiness, but I just have no inner experience of it. I have no sense that I actually have a self in there um, that is worthy uh, and that knows that it is, is good enough. And, but then in the very next breath, <laughs> they'll say something like, so my husband said this to me, and it was really mean, and it made me very angry, right? And my boss did this to me, and it was unfair, and it made me very mm-hmm. angry. And and um, and that's when I stop them, and I say, right there, that that angry part of you, that's the part of you that knows you're worthy mm-hmm. of being treated better, wow. that knows that you deserve being treated better. Now, you can't experience your worthiness at this point as a, um, as a peaceful thing. At this point, you can only experience it as a frustrated, angry thing. Uh, but that frustrated, angry part of you, that is the little one inside of you who has been there all along, was there when you first started to receive that shame and, and was angry about it. Said, no, this isn't right. I'm, I'm not being treated the way that I am worthy of being treated. Um, so that anger, as long as it's not acted upon, as long as it's not something that is used to destroy and to break down, can actually be something that is attended to and learned from. So when you're angry... What is that voice inside of you saying about how you deserve to be treated and why? Um, and that can begin to lead us back to and reconnect us with our sense of worthiness. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a powerful uh, awareness, uh, something that we might uh, be taught to suppress. Don't get angry, um, you know, don't lash out. But that really is a signal or a cue 
that we intrinsically inherit, inherently recognize our worthiness on some level. Otherwise, we wouldn't be angry if someone were mistreating us. Exactly. And, and you know, I think the, the, the wisdom of don't get angry is, uh, is more about don't, don't act angry. Mm-hmm. Don't act on that anger right. and destroy yourself and others with it. Um, but you can be angry. You mm-hmm. can have that feeling. And, and if you can be patient with it and attentive to it without acting, you're going to learn great things from it. Mm-hmm. The goal is not to sin in our anger, but that that emotion is a is an important indicator of um, maybe a lie that we're believing or um, something unjust being done against us. Well, my guess, yeah, or like yeah, that part of us that says, "Don't you? You're not allowed to lie to me anymore." Like that, right? right? I, that's not true about me. That's yeah. rising up. That's right. That's right. Amen. My guest is Dr. Kelly Flanagan. He's the author of the book, Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About You, so you can truly embrace your life. When we come back, he'll talk about the power of the ordinary. Don't go away. Stay with us. We'll be back. This is Denver's all-new 94.7 FM, The Word. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security Primer Recommendations, SSI Guardian QAL, now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstra. One of the planned speakers at a conservative activist rally that appeared to end shortly after it began in Boston says the event, quote, fell apart. Dozens of rally-goers had gathered on the Boston Common today, but then left less than an hour after the event was getting underway. TV cameras were showing police fans escorting participants out. Two Pennsylvania state troopers injured, one critically while conducting a robbery investigation outside a grocery store in Fairhance last night. A 26-year-old male suspect was killed when troopers returned fire. Both officers are expected to recover. Meanwhile, a suspect in the fatal shooting deaths of a police of two police officers in Kissimmee, Florida, arrested in a bar several hours after the attack. The 45-year-old man faces a charge of first-degree murder for the killing of Officer Matthew Baxter and could face another murder charge for the fatal wounding of Sergeant Sam Howard, who died later, hours later at the hospital. This is SRN News. 94.7 FM, The Word. My story includes multiple physical and emotional affairs. Every day, men struggle with sexual integrity. My wife insisted that I would go to the Every Man's Battle. The Every Man's Battle Workshop is coming to Denver September 8th through the 10th. If cost is a factor, we have scholarships available, but you need to call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. That's 1-800-639-5433. It is one of the most critical things that a guy can do. one 800 N-E-W-L-I-F-E. 
Can the Bible help me during turbulent economic times and reduce or eliminate risk? Discover the answers to your important financial questions from Denver's biblical investment advisor, Colin Richards. Listen Saturday mornings at 8.30 to hear Colin share the ways financially secure individuals are using principles from God's Word to prosper even during market declines. To find out more about Colin, go to lordandrichards.com or contact him directly at 720-372-0400. Don't miss the Lord and Richards radio program, Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 94.7 KRKS. After the loss of a loved one, your focus is on your family and grieving the loss, not managing their estate. Hi, I'm Tony Sterniolo, a Christian attorney. At the offices of Tony Sterniolo, we can support and counsel you through the entire probate process. Probate does not need to be lengthy, expensive, or complicated. I will help heirs and beneficiaries clear title to assets as easily as possible. After the funeral, let us handle the legal steps so you can focus on your family. Call me, Tony Sterniolo, at 831-4400. That's 303-831-4400. This is Pastor Ed, and I'm so blessed to share the word with you daily on Abounding Grace Radio at noon and 9 p.m. right here on 94.7 FM, The Word. You know, here at Calvary Aurora, we've been serving the metro area for over 17 years now, faithfully teaching the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. I'm personally inviting you to become a part of our church family here at Calvary Aurora. For more info, visit calvaryaurora.org or download our free app today. That's calvaryaurora.org. See you soon. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. My guest is Dr. Kelly Flanagan, licensed clinical psychologist and author of the book, Lovable, Embracing What's Truest About You So You Can Truly Embrace Your Life and Dr. Flanagan, how can listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to purchase the book and learn more about your practice? Yeah, uh, so they can go to lovabletheBook.com. It's lovabletheBook.com if they want to check out more about the book. Uh, my blog is drkellyflanagan.com, D-R-K-E-L-L-Y-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N.com. And if, if they're not, you know, <laughs> if they're not uh, convinced to buy the book, um, they could go there and subscribe to my blog. They'll get a free sample of Lovable. And they'll also get a free sample of my uh, ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Well, I'll have a link to Dr. Flanagan's information on my website. And, uh, again, if you want to share this interview with a friend or family member, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. Uh, and, interestingly, your your book started out as blogs. And so I was sharing with my listeners about nonfiction writing and self-publishing. Well, you show a real clear path between that connection of just writing and sharing what's on your heart and then um, compiling it into a book. Yeah. So I'd say probably in lovable about maybe 10 to to 15% of the book was previously published on my blog, Mm -hmm. but I, I wanted to really find a way to take, take the blog writing to, you know, to another step. Because blogs, I, I publish them once a week, and they're sort mm. of, it's whatever I'm thinking about that week. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted to illustrate what I view as the trajectory of our lives um, in a much more organized mm-hmm. way. So it's mostly new content, but some of those letters are, are um, old content. Yeah, well. yeah, and certainly the inspiration, um, some of that exactly. inspiration comes from there. Excellent. Well, let's talk about um, what you refer to as the power of the ordinary. We're talking about worthiness and really understanding I, I, I am enough. <laughs> uh, 
and some of us may feel, well, I'm not a movie star. Uh, I'm not a, an author of a book. Uh, I'm not the president of, and CEO of a company. Um, I'm just this ordinary person. How can that be enough? Yeah. Well, certainly one of the gifts of being a therapist is that you get to um, you get to see the other side of people who are in those occupations, for mm. instance. I get to work with CEOs and presidents in, in therapy and discover that, oh, they're like becoming successful and maybe extraordinary in the, in the world, guys. It doesn't make us feel good enough either. It was supposed yeah. to, right? Yeah. I'm supposed to achieve all this and reach the status in this position. Um, one of my favorite authors, Peter Rollins, he says oftentimes the, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting it. <laughs> and you realize that didn't do the trick That's either. Not enough, yeah. Um, you know, it's something we see with lottery winners, for instance, right? You know, in theory, uh, gaining immediate wealth is supposed to solve so many of the problems of life. And, and so often we see lottery winners become depressed and even suicidal. And my understanding of that is because the thing that was supposed to solve the problem didn't do it. Mm-hmm. The, extraordinary, the extraordinary thing didn't bring me peace either. Um, and so much of lovable is about embracing the, the true peacefulness um, in, inwardly and outwardly. Um, comes when we stop thinking that this extraordinary event or status or relationship or whatever is going to be the thing that solves our problem. Um, it's not going to do it. And, and what causes us to think that it is is the shame that says, well, on the inside, I'm not good enough. So on the outside, I have to be more than enough to compensate for it, to prove myself, and so on. Uh, and so as we begin to uh, reconnect with our sense of worthiness, we feel some freedom to just be who we are. And we're all ordinary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're all ordinary, and that's lovely, actually. And, and lovable, I say there's loveliness in ordinariness, um, and there's there's true peacefulness in that as well. If I have my John Lennon, you know, imagine dream, mm-hmm. seven billion people who realize they're worthy and, uh, and that they're ordinary and feel the freedom to just be who they are and do what they're passionate about doing. And my guess is that we would, we would see... Uh, a radically transformed planet and a very peaceful planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that kind of ordinariness can be life, can be life changing and world changing. Amen. Well, you know, you always hear the saying that even that famous person puts their pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> and exactly. so there's, we're still ordinary and similar as human beings. Um, and really it. the trap is um, what uh, our, our, pastor of counseling at my church refers to as performance-based acceptance. You know, we live in a world that rewards our accomplishments and rewards our punishment or, or uh, rewards our performance. And we punish our children when they don't do, you know, things right. exactly how we want them to do it. And, um, you know, we have to remember uh, we're called human beings, not human doings. Uh, I once read. Uh, and so, that. yeah, it's really, um, you know, the power of the ordinary of, of we are who God says we are, uh, nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> we're not who other you people know, my, say we are. We're not even who we say we are. Uh, we're, we're beautifully, yeah. carefully, wonderfully made. My daughter said to me recently, I had given her a consequence for something she did that she can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, she needs to learn that, that that's not an okay thing to do. 
and I gave her a consequence. And then a couple minutes later, I said, well, "Sweetie, what do you what do you want for lunch?" Oh, I want you. Know, oh, why don't I? I'll give you that and this. And she she looks at me. She goes, "If you're mad at me, why are you still being nice to me?" Mm. And I said to her, I said, oh, sweetie, I, I have to give you a consequence for that because it's not okay. I forget what it was now. It's not okay to hit your brother or say that word or whatever. Uh, but I still love you. It doesn't change anything about who you are and how much I love you. Um, and so she's doing the math there, right? Mm. Like, okay, we, I, got, I got punished. I must not be as good as I was before, but he's treating me with love. What, what's, how does this make sense? And so we have to... I think for ourselves, as well as our kids, have to try to make that connection that our behaviors are not related to who we are and our performance and our successes and failures aren't either. Yeah, and we have to be really intentional as parents uh, to make that message clear. I read a blog recently uh, where the parent was talking about uh, just abolishing punishment altogether and even, you know, consequences Mm -hmm. and what what, uh, has been um, called love and logic and she said that, you know, when a kid misbehaves or acts out, it's really a call for connection and that we can talk to them about what they did wrong and what they should do differently, but not to even give consequences, let alone, you know, spankings, but to, to connect with your child instead. And I want to re- reread it a couple of times. I think it was an excerpt from a book, um, but it was a really fascinating um, notion of just doing away with consequences and punishment, but in, instead um, connecting with your children to preserve their sense of worthiness so that they're, she, she was saying sometimes children will lie or uh, uh, because they're afraid of punishment. So we're actually kind of encouraging lying by continuing punishments rather than having conversations. So it's, some, it's food for thought, something to consider. Uh, it's it, really interesting. You yeah. look... I, I, yeah, I sort of find myself in the middle ground on that because I think mm-hmm. and what she may what she may be getting at is that um, a lot of times, whether we do it explicitly or just implicitly without intention, the consequence we give our kids from this behavior is we withdraw connection from mm-hmm. them. Right? Mm-hmm. So we imply subtly or explicitly that we are no longer as close to them or them to us, and and that does communicate. Um, unfortunately. That's a terrifying thing for a mm-hmm. kid. So it'll probably, it'll probably work in reducing the behavior, um, but it is a way to communicate shame over time. So if our consequences can exist alongside our efforts to connect with them, mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that might be the best of both worlds. Yes, and I think you did a, a great job of you know, warmly speaking with your daughter and explaining and, and, and you were feeding her. You weren't disconnecting, and, but we know there are some parents out there who... Um, are are applying punishments uh, in a very damaging way. Uh, And you have a a theme throughout your book really is uh, how shame um, takes us so far away from, from the, our inner selves, that little child in each of us. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I feel compelled to say that I am that parent sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, as the interviewee, I get to pick which stories I tell. (laughs) But I, 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 fall into that trap as well of, of kind of withdrawing my love and connection at times and then having to go back and, and make amends for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, because we, we are talking about parenting and often I get asked that question, you know, how do we, how do we communicate a sense of worthiness to our kids? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think so much of it has to do with the practice in communicating worthiness to a little one happens within us. 
Mm. Um, until, until I can embrace the little one within me and say, yeah, all that shame you encountered, it was a lie. It was a lie. The truth is you're good enough. Until I can do that, it'll be really hard to do it for anyone else, including my kids. Um, and, uh, and so for me personally, it was my, my desire to love my kids well that really kind of thrust me into the journey of embracing the little kid within me so that I could love them well. Mm-hmm. Well, just uh, coincidentally, probably not so coincidentally, probably the Lord orchestrated it. Uh, the Lord had put on my heart to really begin to pay attention. And I even refer to her as little Peggy. <laughs> it, mm. Just pay attention to the little one in me. And to the yeah. point that um, I ended up uh, changing my profile picture on my Facebook page and um, my home screen on my phone to my favorite picture of myself as a little girl. And so every time I look at my phone to check the time, I see myself, the little Peggy. And then about uh, two weeks later, my pastor preached a sermon about um, being more like a child when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. And then maybe about a week after that, I started reading your book. And so I I think it's just something the Lord is really emphasizing for me in this particular season with some of the things that are um, coming up for me emotionally in my life is to really tend to and nurture the little one in me. And that really is the, the message of your book that... We are lovable, and um, through shame, that that can get distorted. And then in that whole process, we lose sight of um, our true purpose, why the Lord created us and put us here on the earth at this particular time in history. And so when we come back, um, Dr. Kelly Flanagan will talk more about how all of this is connected to our purpose and how we can embrace what's truest about ourselves so we can truly embrace our lives, our destiny, and our purpose. I'm speaking with Dr. Kelly Flanagan, licensed clinical psychologist and the author of the book, Lovable. And uh, he was inspired to write his book as a result of a Google search and has since written several letters and blogs and um, written this book that helps us to know that we are enough, uh, that we do belong, and that we do matter. And we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Kelly Flanagan uh, when we return from the break. If you'd like to reach out to him or purchase his book or subscribe to his uh, newsletter, go to drpegradio.com for a link to him. This is Denver's all-new 94.7 FM, The Word. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional, evidence-based, advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based, advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. Welcome. 
Welcome back, everyone. My guest is Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and he's written a book called Lovable, Embracing What is Truest About You, so you can truly embrace your life. And you can go to drkellyflanagan.com, and I'll also have a link to his website at my website, drpegradio.com. Also want to remind you that um, space is limited in my nonfiction writing and self-publishing workshop. Go to drpegradio.com to register today. Uh, thanks so much, Dr. Flanagan, for being my guest today. It's just a delight to have read your book and to have this conversation with you. Likewise, this conversation is fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, the, the little Peggy in me uh, honors the, the little <laughs> Kelly in you. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, great. Well, let's talk about um, uh, the, the, what you describe as the problem with the mirrors in our lives and why we need mm-hmm. to quit using them. Uh, myself, as as a therapist, I, I've always told people, uh, I'm a mirror for you to see yourself more clearly. And sometimes we don't like what we see and we kind of project that onto others. Uh, but what's the danger in um, these um, external mirror, mirrors that we're using in our lives? Yeah. You know, I, I look around at the world and uh, it's it's amazing how everything has become a mirror, right? Like so our Facebook posts are in a sense a mirror. We're mirroring ourselves to everybody else. And selfies literally are a mirror, you know, on their phones and um, obviously, we've had mirrors in our purses and mirrors in our bathrooms and mirrors in our changing rooms mm-hmm. just everywhere. And uh, and what I see in that is that, you know, as little ones, what we are desperate for is uh, someone to mirror us, as you've just described, to mirror who we are back to us so we can begin to put words to and get a sense of who we are. And that includes, yeah, that does include things that we need to work on, you know, behaviors that need to change. Um, but someone who's willing to see deeply enough, past those behaviors, past that mess as we described earlier to the to the kid underneath the mess and the, the vomit and the metaphor, I guess, but someone who's willing to see who we are and how we were, were created. I was reading a book by Parker Palmer recently where he talked about how his um, desire as a grandfather is to watch his grandchildren closely enough and record his sense of their essence and of their true self before life gets a hold of them, mm. so that he can give those give those words to his kids later, um, so that they can remember who they were before life got a hold of them. And essentially, what he's doing is he's mirroring them. Um, he's becoming a mirror for them. But in the absence of someone to mirror our inner life, our inner self, um, in our hearts, I think what we start to do is we start to say, well. I don't really know who I am on the inside or what I am on the inside isn't good enough, um, so I'll work on the outside. I'll work on the container. And uh, and so we start to use all these body mirrors trying to look a certain way, you know, uh, appear perfect, appear skinnier, appear more muscular, and we try to build a sense of worth through those sorts of uh, body mirrors when what we're really desperate for is somebody to mirror our hearts. Mm. Amen. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. And um, you you wrote quite a few letters to your children. Um, you posted them as blogs. Uh, some of them have gone viral. You ended up on the Today Show. <laughs> let's talk about um, your children a little bit more, because uh, really this book is for the child in all of us, and we can learn so much from our kids. And just as your daughter was a mirror to you when she asked, why are you being nice to me if you're mad? Yeah. You know, that really, man, you really see yourself <laughs> clearly uh, through the eyes of your children. It's humbling and convicting. Um, and so yeah. we've all learned so much from your children through your writing and the letters that you that you originally addressed to them. Uh, let's, let's talk about um, uh, 
a letter that you uh, wrote to your daughter sitting in the makeup aisle at a store and um, how that's all tied to these three acts of life that that we've been discussing of worthiness and belongingness and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, uh, that letter was ultimately the letter that ended up connecting with us with the Today Show. Um, I had a couple of weeks before I wrote that letter and my my good friend is now my business partner um, and somehow still my good friend. So that's a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He he had, uh, texted me from a makeup aisle in a store and said, if I do, this is really, I feel this is oppressive. I'm I'm thinking of my wife and my daughter and and the pressure in this aisle to appear a certain way. And um, and so I I, I was curious about the experience and I I went to a makeup aisle um, to experience that. And one of the first things I noticed was that there were words plastered all over the makeup aisle um, with incredible pressure um, Mm. built into them flawless finish, um, mm-hmm. infallible, um, and so on and so forth. And, you know, words that our bodies can't possibly live up to, um, but that our souls absolutely live up to um, without any work <laughs> needed. And um, and so I wanted to write a letter to her to redirect her to the beauty inside of her. Mm-hmm. Um, already, already at that point, we had a ritual at night where we still do it. Um, we say the Lord's Prayer, and then afterwards I say, um, are you beautiful on the outside? And she says, yes. Mm-hmm. And I say, where are you the most beautiful? And she says, on the inside. Um, so wanting to direct her to that to that inner beauty um, because it is really that inner self, that true self, out of which our sense of true calling, um, out of which our passions and our sense of vocation and sense of purpose arises. So if she's going to live a life that is consistent with who she is, she needs to know that what's on the inside of her is beautiful, and she can rely upon it to direct her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was part of the thrust of that letter. Yeah, amen. And so again, you say that these um, uh, tasks that we have to, um, well, not tasks, but kind of realizations that we need to come to need to happen in a particular order uh, to get us uh, to feeling lovable and to be able to embrace our purpose of um, do I matter, do I belong? And so really helping her to, to see the, her inner beauty and um, make those connections is really the path to purpose. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And yep. t- talk about the That's role right. of, of passion there, of how we can get in touch with what is passion and what is not yeah. and how that all ties together. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. Passion is a word that gets tossed around a lot these days and um, you know, find your purpose, you know, find your passion. And a lot of times I get concerned that that, a lot of times it's all tied up, it seems, in ego and, and our shame and feeling like we need to be extraordinary. But I sort of define passion as the thing that your soul wants to do and can't not do. Mm. You know, a part of you that just it feels restless to do that thing. And I hear people say all the time, well, I don't know what my passion is. But when we really start to dig down on that, what we discover is that actually you do know. You, you've known since you were, you know, seven years old um, that uh, you loved to, um, to to cultivate a garden, uh, that you wanted to write a book, or that you um, loved setting up sacred spaces in, in different places, um, or that you loved to color, or whatever. And, um, but what you thought, you thought that that wasn't good enough to be your life's purpose, mm. you thought that that wasn't sufficient, uh, or you thought maybe that you weren't worthy of it, and, and so you buried it, and you buried it along with your true self and that little one, 
And so part of it is just excavating those passions that have been buried that we've known at some level are there uh, and that are just waiting to be practiced um, and, and starting to do that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's possible until we've really embraced who we are and embraced our true self, we don't feel a permission to practice our passions. Mm. Wow. Well, and sometimes people get on a path that uh, they chose either because that was what was expected of them. Um, you know, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a teacher. There are certain professions that are, quote unquote, honorable and that our parents may kind of steer us in that direction or to chase after money and the position, as we talked about, the CEO Um, So you might be on those paths realizing you don't have any passion for them, but you've invested so much already. Uh, Talk about uh, what you call the sunk cost and how do we reverse our path when it's not leading towards our passion, but we've invested so much already. Right. You know, I would, again, I would say first thing for people to know who are feeling that is you're not alone. That's actually the normal course of development. Mm. We come, we come into the world with the true self, we get ashamed of it, we build a self, false self, and that false self goes out in the world and starts walking the path. And and so it's not abnormal at all somewhere in, you know, um, around the middle of life to go, uh-oh, this isn't who I am or what I wanted to do. Um, the challenge at that point for many people, as you said, is that you've invested a lot in that path. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, uh, a client who, um, like, my clients are so wise and teach me so much. And, yes. and we have and about two minutes, me, uh, Dr. Flanagan. How much time about do About two minutes. Okay. He said to me, you know, hey, um, if you were halfway to the grocery store and someone told you the grocery store was closed, would you keep walking <laughs> or would you go back and find a different a different way to get groceries? And but we do that with our sense of passion and purpose. We, we get halfway down a path and we say, oh, but I've gone to college for two years, so I have to finish the major mm-hmm. or I've got to stay in this, this job or whatever. And a lot of it has to do with beginning to say, hey, those those are sunk costs. Those are investments in life that I have to sort of write off so I can find the path that I want to walk on. Mm. My wife my wife is the biggest inspiration to me in this. She spent years, literally decades of her life, becoming a tenured professor of psychology. And two years ago, she realized that her entire life she's been passionate about providing psychological services to underserved populations. And instead, she was teaching people how to do that. <laughs> and she wasn't passionate as passionate mm-hmm. about the teaching as the providing. And so she, she stepped down from her professorship, and we we moved an hour and a half west to an underserved area, and uh, she's as happy as can be right Amen. now. So, yeah, so that was, that's a huge sunk cost. <laughs> so a huge sunk, sunk cost. But change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. And it's great to have the insight and awareness to pursue your passions. Thanks so much, yeah. Dr. Kelly Flanagan, for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. Oh, it's, it's been a delight. Uh, Dr. Flanagan's book is lovable, and you can connect with him. Go to my website, drpegradio.com, to learn more about Dr. Flanagan and purchase his book. Again, if you are interested in nonfiction writing and self-publishing, attend my nonfiction writing and self-publishing workshop on September 9th in Denver. Go to drpegradio.com to register Again, my guest has been Dr. Kelly Flanagan, author of the book Lovable, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you every week by SSI Guardian. To listen to previous episodes, learn more about Dr. Peg's mental health and safety workshops, or to register for an upcoming VIP personal transformation retreat, visit drpegradio.com. You can also purchase Dr. Peg's books, Do Something Different for a Change, and Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, online at drpegradio.com. And remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 The Word FM for Living Well with Dr. Peg. Living well.